you have a Bible, uh, could you quickly turn to 1 Kings chapter 19? I know, and apparently I sound a little bit more like Barry White this morning than normal, so you're just going to have to put up with the distractions. <laughs> okay, uh, 1 Kings 19. which I'm going to read from verse 1 through to verse 18. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. The word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain. In the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there came an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the Lord, after the fire, came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came. 
and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. I think maybe this needs turning off, but I'll, uh, I'll leave that to someone else. Um, if we could just turn off some of the amps, I think it's uh, all whizzing away in the background. Sorry. Thank you. In the book of James, there's a phrase in chapter 5, that the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. And as soon as James has said that, he kind of brings exhibit A, prime example of a righteous man praying powerfully. And he says, Elijah was a man, or Elijah was a human, just like us. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it didn't rain in Israel for three and a half years. That's you can see that as you read the earlier chapters in, of, of 1 Kings. In chapter 17, Elijah turns out from nowhere. We've not heard about him before. And suddenly, he's standing before the most unholy king in Israel's history, saying, uh, because you've turned away from the Lord, it's not going to rain until I say so. And he goes away and he prays. And the Lord hears his prayer, and so it doesn't rain for three and a half years. And then it says he prayed again, and it did rain. All that you can read about in chapters 17 and 18. There was this amazing showdown on Mount Carmel, where Elijah, the prophet of God, has picked a fight. He's made a confrontation. He said to Ahab, all the, pre- all the prophets of Baal, 450 of them, and the whole nation, come with me. Come with me to Mount Carmel. We're going to see who God is. We're going to see who's really in control. Is it Baal that you're worshipping now? Or is it the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob? And he stands alone. And when he prays, fire falls down from heaven and burns up the offering on the Lord's altar. And the whole nation, rather than say, wow, isn't Elijah amazing? The whole nation realized, oh, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. It's a tremendous moment. Um, And almost as though he's kind of dismissing the crowd after the event, Elijah goes back up the mountain and he puts his head between his knees. And he's just by himself really this time, maybe with his servant as well. And he prays, oh God, let it rain. And he sends his servant out seven times to go and see. And then there's this cloud as as small as a man's hand he knows that God has heard him he he prayed again God answers and the rain comes this another amazing object lesson in who's in control and you see there on Mount Carmel uh, Elijah operating in a power from God because 
He's learnt to live by the word of God. He's been obedient to the Lord. Previously, the word of the Lord has come to Elijah and he's, he's obeyed straight away. Go to Kerith and he goes. Go to a widow in Zarephath and he goes. Go now, present yourself to Ahab and he goes. He has a, a confidence and assurance that comes from being in the will and the purposes of God. And so, therefore, he has a power that enables him to stand in front of the king these unholy prophets, and the entire nation and demonstrate before them that it's the God of Israel who is the Lord. So we might think, wow, a man just like us, are you sure? Well, it's, he's, he's showing us what living by the word results in, what living by faith involves, what being obedient to God looks like. He's also then tremendously, at this point, uh, vulnerable to discouragement. From the enemy's perspective, from Satan's perspective, it's worth his while discouraging Elijah. And did you know that's true of us? Did you know that's true of, of you? Sometimes this is a conversation we have as elders when, I don't know, something's happened. I think, right, this church is worth discouraging. Let's press on. Let's pray. Let's keep going. Let's believe. Sometimes we can be discouraged when we're, we're caught off guard after a spiritual high point. We've been on some mountaintop. We've really seen God come through for us. We've taken a stand. We've shared our faith. We've not just tucked away because the expectation for Christians is you just keep your faith to yourself. You just stay quiet, hide out in a cave, uh, we don't really want you demonstrating your faith in public or, or anything at all, so you just stay tucked away. But we see here uh, a man who's uh, prepared to let his light shine and take a stand for God. And sometimes after a spiritual high, we can be caught off guard. Perhaps for Elijah that was the case because he was a little bit disappointed. God had come through for him. The nation had responded in a way, but perhaps it was not the response that he was particularly Hoping for, certainly King Ahab doesn't seem to be changed. King Ahab reports the events and says, all that Elijah had done. Do you notice that right at the beginning of the chapter? All that Elijah had done. Now what had God done? You know, but all Ahab can see is Elijah, this troubler of Israel. And so he's disappointed. And then he's also uh, utterly demoralized. Jezebel sends a message, sends a messenger. And some discouragements can only be explained with reference to spiritual forces of tremendous darkness because to say somebody sent me a nasty message, well, why is that not water off a duck's back? He's just stood in front of 450 prophets of Baal. He's just stood before the, uh, an unholy king and he's just stood before the, the whole nation so why, why this reaction to somebody sending a message? Sometimes discouragement is like that. If you try and say it, 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 you can't necessarily explain to another person why it got to you so much. It's just an email. It's just a look on her face. It was just the way he said this. It was just something. It was this. And you felt the impact of it. Even to say it out loud, it can sound almost 
nothing. Jezebel send a message. You think, well, why did she do that? Why did she not send an assassin if she wanted to kill him? Uh, someone runs all the way. She's going to kill you. And then runs off again. Um, but that's to miss the, the point in some respects of just the, the profound demoralizing effects. Jezebel, we hear about her a lot. In, in 1 Kings 21, verse 25, Ahab's reign is kind of rounded up in this way. 1 Kings 21, verse 25, there was never a man like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. He behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Amorites the Lord drove out before Israel. So Ahab, there was never a man like him who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. And yet, actually, who's the driving force? She was urging him on. So can you imagine just standing at the top of the stairs, a little bit wobbly, there's the nation, and Jezebel's there, and she delights to do that. She delights to push the nation uh, down this tumbling staircase into more and more uh, depravity and idolatry. Uh, So yeah, Elijah was vulnerable to discouragement. There's uh, an unholy kind of anger that bubbles up in, uh, in Jezebel, she is affronted and she is after Elijah. And it says of him, Elijah was afraid, in verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Uh, you may see in a footnote, the text is, can equally be uh, rendered, Elijah saw and ran for his life. He saw He saw the messenger coming. Perhaps he looked around him and saw that no one was standing with him. He was still by himself, even after this amazing event on Mount Carmel. And we can think, seeing is believing. If there's no photos, it didn't happen. You know, we we, we live with a very visual way of life. Um, So seeing is believing. If 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 I saw, then I'd believed. If I could see God, if I could put my hands where the wounds were in Jesus, then, then I'll believe. When I see, I'll believe. Actually, it's rarely the case. Uh, seeing can be profoundly discouraging. And we're told in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we live by faith, not by sight. It's when we live by sight that we get discouraged. We've seen something. It's difficult to explain. Maybe, of course, we've, we've heard things as well. It says of, of Peter... When Jesus walked on water out to the disciples on the boat, uh, Peter says, if it's you, Lord, uh, call me and I'll walk out to you. And so Peter steps out of the boat and starts walking on water because he's seen Jesus. And then it says, Peter saw the wind. How do you see wind? Uh, but Peter saw the wind. He was afraid and began to sink. And there have been lots of times when Elijah could have said to the Lord, well, this doesn't look very encouraging. God commanded him to live by a brook. And then the brook, this is in a drought, hasn't rained. And the brook starts to dry up before his eyes. Lord, this is not looking good. But he turns to the Lord. And he waited for the word of God to come. And then the word of the Lord comes and 
he's sent to a widow in Zarephath. Uh, the Lord says, I've commanded her to give you something to eat. Excellent. Off he goes. Finds uh, the widow and, and, and meets her. She says, all, all I've got is a handful of flour, I mentioned yesterday, uh, and a little jar of oil. I'm about to make something and then I'm going to die. But Lord, this does not look good. But he's living by faith. He's trusting in the word of God. The word of the Lord came to him and said, go to Zarephath. The word of the Lord said to him, there's a widow there. The word of the Lord said to him, she's going to feed you. Okay? So he lives by faith. And then later on, he's holding her dead son in his arms. And he's saying, Lord, this doesn't look good. And he takes the boy in his arms and he carries him up. And he prays to the Lord. And later he presents him back to her alive. So there's so many times when if he was living by sight, he would say, this doesn't look good. But on each of those occasions, he turned to the Lord and he believed God. Here, he sees. And he starts to sink. And he doesn't live by faith. And he doesn't live by the word. And he doesn't turn to God. He runs. He starts to sink. And he runs. And then we see all the, the hallmarks of discouragement unfold in, as the chapter unfolds. He's restless. He's on the run. He keeps going I mean, for like hundreds of miles. And he can't find somewhere to be. He goes to Judah, but there's no resting place there. He, he, uh, he, he keeps moving on, but in a sense, he doesn't move on. He's, he's just restless. He's isolated. Now, he's had time by himself before. But on this occasion, he, he, sent, he, he, he leaves his servant behind. Now, maybe that was some kind of kindness. I'm not in a great place right now. It's best that I'm alone. I don't want to have to look after you. Just... Stay here for now. I'm going on. Maybe that was some kind of kindness to the servant. But nevertheless, he's in this scenario where he's running from the Lord and he's isolated. He's exhausted. It's like grief is just exhausting. His energy has gone, as we'll see in a bit. And he wants to die. Which if we were being a little bit unkind, we could think, well, isn't that completely inconsistent? She was threatening to kill him, so he ran for his life. Having run for his life, he wants to die. But discouragement isn't always logical. Or we aren't always logical when we're discouraged. We're self-pitying. And so he becomes preoccupied with himself. In a sense, Ahab was preoccupied with Elijah. Ahab was not preoccupied with God. Ahab said to Elijah, you troubler of Israel. And then when he goes back to the real boss... He says to Jezebel, all that Elijah has done. And now, kind of affected by that attitude, by that spirit, Elijah's just looking at himself and he's not looking at the Lord. He's, self, he's self-pitying. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better. When he says later on, I've been very zealous for the Lord. I, even I, am the only one left. It says in John 10, verse 10, again, referred to this yesterday, still can't pronounce that word, beginning with uh, uh, the thief. Hey, the thief comes, <laughs> I'll stop there, uh, comes only, 
to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what we're seeing here. The work of an enemy, the work of the evil one, attempting to steal faith, ultimately attempting to destroy the man. And so we really, would it help us at all? Let's look at the rest of the passage. Three points. Here's what you should do when you feel utterly demoralized. I mean, if you don't feel utterly demoralized, then maybe sort of bear it in mind. I'm not saying we couldn't go through it and say, here's what to do. But you don't need to hear that if you are utterly demoralized. If you've been sinking for a while, if you've gone on the run. What you need to hear is what God did. How God overcame Elijah's discouragement. My prayer is that you will bear this in mind because you are worth being discouraged from the enemy's point of view. So you're going to need to bear this in mind. But for those of you who have sunk a little bit, my prayer is this, would refresh you and strengthen you and encourage you, get you back living by faith, get you back following the Lord, get you back trusting in him, whatever you see with your eyes. God refreshes Elijah. That's what God does first. God does that in a couple of ways. He does that by giving sleep. So Elijah gets to a certain point and he is exhausted. He lay down, he had this little rant, I've had enough Lord, take my life, I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. What you say, well where does it say that God gave him sleep? Well in Psalm 127, the Lord grants sleep to those he loves. It's a kindness of God to give sleep. And if, you, if you've sometimes struggled to get to sleep, you'll know it's not something that you can achieve by yourself. You, know, you muster up all your sleep energy. You know, we just get tense, don't we? And we, things are rolling through our mind. Sleep is a gift provided by the Lord. A gracious gift by which we get refreshed. And then he gets woken up. I think that's after some time. I don't think it's like a cruel kind of uh, just quick tap on the shoulder only as he's just dropped off. But sometime later, all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. So we, we don't know much, I suppose, about the ministry of angels. But we see in the scripture a number of times where the Lord sent an angel. The Lord sent an angel to Daniel to close the mouth of the lion. That was a hard night. But God's there. Or God sends an angel. And an angel's with Jesus, strengthening him in Gethsemane. So we see this refreshing that comes by sleep, this refreshing that comes by an angel, and the angel provides food, angelic food, heavenly food, provides this, uh, this meal, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. Note this, he ate and drank and then lay back down. See how the Lord refreshes the servant. There's no word of thanks. That's not, the, in a sense, the breakthrough moment. It's, you need to rest. You need a decent meal or two. And you need to sleep. And that's what happens. He wakes up again, another tap on the shoulder, has another meal. 
which, again, this miracle food strengthens him for 40 days and 40 nights for the journey that lies ahead. He's still got a long way to go. And what we see from this is that the Lord God is gentle. He knows our limits. He attends to Elijah's physical needs. He doesn't go straight for the root issue right at the outset. He does things gradually. We can think sometimes, I wish God would hurry up. And I think the Lord might sometimes think about us. I wish that you would slow down and take time. Take time to appreciate that common grace that enables you to sleep. Appreciate good food and appreciate what the Lord is always doing in our lives. We see that God is gentle and we see that God is gracious. He could have confronted Elijah's sin straight away. He could have demanded instant repentance without any delay whatsoever. Elijah runs, sulks, rants and goes to sleep. And God patiently and lovingly tucks him in for the night. And sometimes there's a way of parenting, which is like you have, to, you have to confront things straight away and get instant obedience. No, you don't. It says in Psalm 103, what God is like. Psalm 103 and verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. He knows our limitations. He understands. What grace, what kindness, what love to be on the receiving end of our tantrum and to give us something to eat. You need to rest. So maybe parents take note. It's not like ignore issues of bad behavior, but do you remember that your children are dust? Because your heavenly father remembers that you're dust. Can you love them while they're telling you they hate you? Can you love them later on this evening when they're really tired? (laughs) God refreshes Elijah. God refreshes his people. Secondly, what we see is that God restores Elijah. And he does this in a number of ways. He asks a question. It says, the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Before the word of the Lord has come to Elijah and said, go to the Kerith ravine. A little bit later on, the word of the Lord comes to him and says, go to Zarephath. And then go to Ahab. And he's always been in step with the Spirit. He's always been in obedience to his father. He's always been trusting the word of God. Now, what are you doing here? It's just an element of, of rebuke. Like the Lord calling out to Adam. Where are you? Eve. What have you done? Peter. Do you truly love me more than these? It's just, it's, it's restoring. But it's just, there's an element of rebuke and correction. Gets us to think. The Lord doesn't ask us a question because he needs new information. <laughs> it doesn't... 
He doesn't need us to explain things because he's a little bit distracted. He does it for our sake to cause us to think, what am I doing here? You know, sometimes discouragement works like that. To Elijah's credit, he can say, he can explain it pretty well. Even if he's still in self-pity, he can still give a very clear, methodical answer. This is why I'm here. Sometimes when the discouragement kicks in personally, it like, takes like days or a week and you think, right, what? why am I downcast? What's got to me? I can't, I can't actually remember. I can't explain. I can't, I can't articulate it right now. And it, ah, oh, maybe it was that, right? Well, that's where I need to just go. I need to revisit. I'm going to pray about this because I don't want to get stuck. I've moved on a little bit in that restless way. And the Lord just gets me to retrace my steps. Ah, oh, that was it. Okay. Thank you, Lord. So he restores Elijah by asking a question. He stores Elijah, restores him by showing his power. We get this remarkable demonstration of the power of the Almighty. Uh, Elijah can say, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. And he gets this threefold demonstration of just how almighty the Lord is. The Lord sends a wind that that, where, that tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks. And he sends an earthquake. The ground trembles beneath him. And then he sends another fire. The Lord God really is almighty. The Lord God is not reliant on just Elijah. I'm the only one left. Look what I can do, Elijah. I'm not reliant on you. I can raise up unholy kings and godly prophets to fulfill my purpose. Maybe that's what he's, he's hinting at with these dis- displays of power. And yet we're told that God was not in them. God was not in the wind. God was not in the earthquake. God was not in the fire. Why? Well, again, maybe this is because we live by faith. Faith comes by, by hearing. Now, we might see amazing things, demonstrations of God's power in, in healing and miracles. But what restores us? What strengthens Faith comes by hearing. And hearing the word of God. And the word of the Lord comes in a gentle way. A gentle whisper. A low whisper. The still small voice of God comes to Elijah. Now the still small voice of God says the same thing. What are you doing here, Elijah? And somehow, in hearing God ask the question a second time, and somehow even as Elijah repeats himself word for word, because sometimes that's what happens, you just get totally stuck. It's what happens to Mary when she's grieving and she doesn't know where the body of Jesus is. They've taken the body of my Lord. Who's taken him? A few moments later, they've taken the body of Jesus. Who's taken him? And a little bit, oh, they've taken the body. Of, was it you? Did you take him? By discouragement and grief, she's kind of totally stuck in a rut. And Elijah's a bit the same. Just repeats himself exactly word for word. But somehow, as the Lord whispers to him this question, and somehow as he repeats himself, it's like a poison is sucked from him. Something went in that point where he saw and ran. And it's hundreds of miles later, and however long, it's 
This is now getting sucked out gently, graciously, softly, with a question, with a slight gentle rebuke. It's getting drawn out from him. Meeting with God is not necessarily outwardly dramatic. As we're welcoming the work of the Holy Spirit can be quiet. Small voice comes bearing witness to our spirits that we are children of God. Those loud, dramatic, wonderful signs don't necessarily change us. We can be really encouraged. Wow, I've just seen legs lengthen or I've, I've just seen somebody walk or I've just heard this testimony. I've just seen some stuff. And it is wonderful. We do praise God for it. But it's not always what changes us right on the inside. And again, the nation of Israel have been at Horeb, a.k.a. Sinai. And they stood at the bottom of this mountain while Moses went up and thick smoke and fire came and the ground shook. Yeah, they, they met with God. Actually, that didn't change them. Moses is up there for a bit long and they make a golden calf. They start worshipping. You know, idolatry was right there. We meet with God in his word and his word is powerful. Faith comes by hearing and that's what changes us. And you might be thinking, what am I doing here? What, what are we doing here at the weekend away? It's, you know, it's great to have so much fun yesterday. But why are, we, why are we here? I will tell you why I think we are here. Because it is time for many to be reawoken to the word. And it is time for restoration. It is time for hearing the still small voice of God saying, what are you doing here? Where that hurt and despair is getting sucked out and replaced by a new hope. Refreshed and strengthened faith. So God, res- God refreshes Elijah. God restores Elijah, he does that with a still, small voice. Actually, we had an experience of that some time ago. Uh, an event took place that scared us. And it kind of it got in. And uh, it, it got into rage. And so we prayed. We responded to the word. We read the word. And that was fruitful. But do you know what it was for Rachel... The still small voice of the Lord came to her it was, as she was walking around Damflask. And in a, in a few different words, just said, Rachel, you're safe. And, and that was the moment. So we might have a time of response in a moment, and I'm, I expect that to be a fruitful time. But don't rule out the still small voice of the Lord comes to you washing up on your bike in the countryside in the garden in a meeting the still small voice of the Lord comes 
So God refreshes Elijah. God restores Elijah. And God reinstates him. He is not being substituted. He's not being replaced. There was that element of rebuke. What are you doing here? But that is to restore him, to get him back on his feet, spiritually speaking, so that he's ready to go again. Not so that he just gets replaced. Oh, go, on, go and find Elisha, because you're, you're done. You're finished. I mean, that was a good, it was a good time back on Mount Carmel. You did well, but clearly you're not up to this next chapter. I need to pass it on to someone else. That's not uh, the nature of God's work with him. He's not being substituted or replaced. Instead, God gives him clear direction for the future. And here's where his, his energy and his vibrancy, his faith, ultimately, is getting uh, stirred again. So the, the Lord said to him in verse 15, go. Now that's encouraging, isn't it? He needed to say, what are you doing here? But now he's saying, go again. Go to Kerith. Go to Zarephath. Go to Ahab. Go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. Go back the way you came. Retrace your steps in other words. But he's being, he's being encouraged. He's going to have a new companion and a successor with him. So he's to go and find Elisha. Interestingly, it's Elisha, I think, who anoints those other guys. Uh, Elijah is given a big call. And actually, he can't fulfill it all in his own lifetime. His successor does some of it. It happens in the years to come. But he's given this, this fresh commission again. This big picture is put before him. He's to go and to anoint these three different individuals. Uh, and it says there in verse 18, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees who have not bowed down to Baal, or whose mouths have not kissed him. And from the way that's translated, that has often been taken to mean that Jesus just ends with another little rebuke. It's not just about you, Elijah. There's 7,000 at the moment. They've not bowed the knee. Go find them. You know, it's almost like, is, that, is he being corrected again? I'm the only one left. Well, we know he wasn't quite the only one left. So is, Jesus, is, is the Lord just having a little twist? Perhaps. It could equally be, be rendered, yet I will reserve 7,000 in Israel. In which case, Elijah is being encouraged. It's worth you pressing on. I have plans they will be fruitful. 7,000 may not even sound like a massive amount in the terms of the nation, but go again, Elijah. It's going to be fruitful. I will reserve 7,000 who have not bowed the knee. It's a promise. It's an encouragement for what the future holds. God has a plan. And whilst it's not all about Elijah, he still does have a part to play. And what restores Elijah is knowing that it's worth continuing. There is a way forward. Again, what are we doing here? Well, it's time for there to be a recommissioning into the call and plan of God. Discouragement comes and we go isolate ourselves. Discouragement comes and we think, oh, I better just pass the baton on and run. 
Discouragement comes and we start hiding in caves. Discouragement comes and we start sinking down. Discouragement comes and we'll think, I'll leave it to another generation to live by the word of God. I'm just marking out time now. Discouragement comes and a whole community of God's people called to be like Elijah, this ordinary man who was righteous and prayed and lived his faith in public, gets silenced. That's the Jezebel influence. Just demoralized and silent. It was just this. It was just that. It was just a look. Can't really explain it to other people, but it's just left me wanting to be silent. That's, That's discouragement. That's from an enemy who comes to steal and kill and destroy, who knows that you're worth trying to discourage the Lord has come, our Saviour has come, that we might have life and have it abundantly. How are we going to have life in abundance? By living by faith. By living by the Word of God. There's a battle on to just be here. You can't live on a sermon a week. Or even like two for a weekend. It's not how we're designed. It's the, about being here you and me and all of us deciding I just need God and I love him and I want to follow him I want to live my life by faith in public not in hiding trusting him this doesn't look very good Lord but I'm trusting you would you multiply this bread please because I've got some people to feed I don't know how I'm going to get through this week Lord but I'm going to turn to you What are they going to say about me when I share my faith? What's going to happen? It's out of our hand. We don't know. The enemy wants to sideline you. The Lord wants to give you abundant life. So here, in this passage, we see God's gentle, loving, patience, refreshing and restoring and reinstating his servant. If the Lord needs to ask you a question today with an element of rebuke, it's not to push you down further. Oh, I hit rock bottom and then the Lord encouraged me and pushed me down a bit. You know, that's not how the Lord works. Maybe you feel like you hit rock bottom ages ago and you're still sinking. And the Lord says, what are you doing here? Come on, I'm helping you up now. Let me just suck that poison from you as you put your faith again in the word of God, Elijah, an encouragement to us individually and also corporately as a church. We need to be aware of it. We need to understand that we have an enemy, but so that we learn the real lesson. I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on God. I'm going to follow him. I don't want to get knocked off track. I don't want to just be a Christian who's marking time, waiting for glory. I want to be one whose sleeves are rolled up in faith, following him. And yes, on adventures, dramatic stories to be told of how God's come through for us. Why? Because we dared to believe him. And maybe other ordinary moments. And moments where we hear the still, small voice of God. Ordinary people, loving God... Living life by the word, 
filled with the Holy Spirit, growing in righteousness, and therefore whose prayers are powerful, that's exciting. That's what we're called to. Not hiding away, but being restored and going again. Amen.